Father, today is a, a day to remember the great tragedy of September the 11th, 15 years ago, when this country was so violently attacked, many lives lost, many people affected from the dust in the air and other avenues of pain and suffering. Lord, there are people today who still suffer and hurt and will continue to suffer and hurt from the loved ones they lost. There are people today who suffer and hurt because of affliction to their bodies or affliction to their mind just from being in the area. Lord, today we have heavier hearts as we remember. And Lord, we will not forget. And Father, since that time, 15 years ago, this country and this world has continued to see war and rumors of war and see Satan wreak havoc in many and multiple ways. And Father, I pray that in the middle of trial and difficulty and hardship that we turn to you. Lord, we see it daily. Sometimes hour by hour, I feel like, Lord, to see this the evil that runs rampant in our country and in this world. And Lord, help us to fix our eyes upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Help us to fix our eyes upon you for hope. Lord, it is so tough to remember sometimes. It's emotional. It's difficult. But Lord, sometimes our trials can help us because we do turn towards you. And so Lord, we're going to learn about that today. We're going to understand a little bit more according to James. And so Lord, I ask you to open our hearts and our minds because there are people today that are walking through other difficulties, be it a marriage challenge or be it a health challenge, maybe a financial challenge, maybe relational challenge. Lord, there are There are trials and difficulties that come our way, and Lord, in your scripture speaks so clearly how to deal with and how to persevere through the difficult times of life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak in this room. It's so fitting that today we remember 15 years, but also today we hear a message, Lord, from you about persevering through the hard times. And so, Lord, we give you permission and ask you to speak in this room today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I did not plan it out this way. I think it's pretty interesting sometimes just to see how God works. I did not plan out this topic specifically to align with the 15-year anniversary of 9-11. It just happened to fall that the text we're dealing with in the book of James today, dealing with trials and difficulties and hardships, aligns with this day when we remember 15 years ago, the tragedy that hit America. Let me tell you about the bald eagle. I think the bald eagle is an interesting um, animal to watch and to learn about difficulties and trials and hardship. Now, we understand that this bird is known as our, for our nation, represents power and represents beauty and grace and courage. It's fascinating, though, to stop and to learn about the, the young life of the eaglet as these babies are born. The birds are absolutely helpless right after they hatch. The mama makes a nest way up in the rock cliffs, hundreds of feet and sometimes even thousands of feet up to keep those babies protected from anything else that could possibly bring harm or wreak havoc. 
And those little eggs hatch, and usually there's two or three eaglets inside of a nest, and they live inside of that nest that mom has padded up and made it all soft and all comfortable in this protected place. And then when the winds come and the difficult times come, mama sits in there and, and protects those little eaglet babies. Then mama flies out, gets some food, and brings it back to the eaglet. And that goes on for about six weeks. But somewhere around week six, that mama has been out and about and flies back. And that little eagle looking up thinking, oh, mama's here to put his arms around me and to, to love me and care for me. And that mama sticks her beak down inside the nest and gives a little nudge towards the edge. And that little eaglet's thinking, mama wants to play. And then mama gives a little another nudge towards the edge. And all of a sudden, that eaglet's looking over the edge, looking down over the nest, going, that's like a really far distance and gets a little bit of fear. And mama gives another push, and the eaglet just goes careening down the side, just floating and trying to flap its wings and crashing, thinking it's going to lose its life, heading to the bottom of the rock cliff. That's kind of the book of James. The book of James is a, is a book about faith. It's a book about how, how we put our faith to work. And James is like, you all are Christians. Let's go. Ooh, push you over the edge. Let's go live it. See, James is just talking about how we put our faith to work all day, every single day. It's a call to fly. It's a call to action. It's a call to not just sit back and say, I'm a Christian, but to put words behind who you say you are, and who you say you belong to. That's what James is about. Mere words, he says, does not, does not do. An agreement with a particular creed. It's not just we nod our head and say, yes, I agree with the Scriptures. It's not that we just give a yes to it, but that genuine faith will be displayed increasingly more and more in maturity all day, every day. That means that what James is telling us about and what James' encouragement do is that you're not just a Christian on Sunday, you're a Christian on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, whether it be 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., whether it's 2 p.m. or 2 a.m., you live out your faith all day, every day long. Remember what, who James is. We covered some of this last week, but let's just quickly review. James is the son of Joseph and Mary. We're familiar with Joseph and Mary. We hear a lot about them at the month of December, you know, because they are the mother of Jesus. And James is actually the half-brother of James, and he's the older brother. He was an unbeliever until the resurrection. And most likely, you would be too. If your brother or sister come to you and say, hey, listen, I'm the Savior of the world, you'd be like, yeah, right. And James is like, I doubt it. And then Jesus dies, rises again. He sees Jesus. He's like, oh, I believe. And so at the resurrection, he comes to be a believer. He's with the disciples in the upper room at the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He's known as the first pastor of the Jerusalem church. He's humble. He referred to himself not as the brother of Jesus, but actually the servant of Jesus. That blows my mind. There's no way I would dare say, hey, I am the servant of Gerald Bolton, my brother. I'd be like, I'm your brother. That's good enough. Traditionally regarded as a unusually good man. He's said to have had calluses on his knees from spending so much time in prayer. He wrote this book to the 12 tribes that are scattered. It's known as a general epistle, written to 12 tribes that are scattered, being 12 tribes of people that started gathering as Christians, but they were scattered because of persecution. And so this book is circulated among believers, and since it's known as a general epistle, it applies to all Christians in all situations, in all settings, for all time, for all day, for every single day of the week and the year. The purpose of this book was to show that true faith produces good work, to emphasize the practical 
aspects of Christian living to show how a Christ follower lives out their faith all day long, every day of the week. The message of the book is simple. I think here's the point. The point is you have faith. You say you have faith and prove it all day, every day. Don't just speak it, actually show it. Throughout this letter, James is not interested in a kind of worship that goes on Sunday morning. He does not address anything about what we're doing today in terms of corporate gatherings of worship. Paul deals with that in other books, but James doesn't even talk about that because he's more concerned about the way we worship God when we aren't in a church building. He's more concerned about what you're doing in your workplace and what you're doing in your social life and what you're doing in your marriages. He's concerned about how you react to trials and how you handle temptation and what you do when you hear the word. Do you just hear it or do you go out and do it? He's concerned about do you care for the destitute? Do you practice favoritism or do you not show favoritism? Do you put your faith to work? Do you watch your tongue? Are you godly, a person pursuing godly wisdom? Are you submitting your life to God? Do you live one day at a time? What's your attitude towards wealth? Are you suffering patiently? Are you fervent in prayer? Are you converting sinners? That's what James is concerned about. I think if he were to stand here today, he would probably even say to us, I really don't care about the songs that you sing and the things that you're claiming out of your mouth. He would probably say, close your mouth and just show me that you really are a follower of Jesus. See, James is not one to beat around the bush. I think that's why I like him, because he just goes straight at it. He's very simple, and he's very straightforward. For some people, they say, Brian, you're a northerner. You come on too strong. I think that's why I like James. I think he's from Michigan. (laughs) Maybe New York. Probably not Canada. They're a little weird up there, but no. Let's look at our text today, James chapter 1. Encourage you to bring your Bibles when we have a large section of Scripture. I don't normally throw it on Scripture or on a screen. And so you need to be bringing your Bibles, whether it's like this or whether it's in technology. But open up your Bibles to James chapter 1 and let's just listen to the word of the Lord this morning. James 1, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business." Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all 
he created. It's an interesting text that we deal with this morning because James jumps right in. It's very interesting in terms of when this was delivered and given to the Christians and the early church. To put this within setting, this would fall within the book of Acts, around Acts chapter 7. And this is just after Stephen had been stoned to death for his faith. If I remember Stephen, the first martyr, he's the one who's preaching, sharing about Jesus, and he's drug out in the street, and they pick up rocks, boulders, and they throw them at Stephen, and they take his life, and James, in the middle of this, knows about that, and he writes this letter and sends it out to the 12 12 tribes who are scattered. They're scattered because of persecution, and they're hearing about Stephen, who had lost his life, and other Christians. It would be like us hearing about what's happening with ISIS and Christians who are losing their lives, and James says, I better give the Christians a letter, and he says to them these words, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being somewhere where ISIS is running rampant and being one of the Christians and someone sends you that letter? It's happened already. The letter's been sent to us. The letter's been given to you and me in the middle of difficult times of life and the struggles that we're walking through even today in our country, even on a day when we remember 15 years ago what happened in this country and ever since then the wars and the rumors of wars and things take place, James, through the power of God and the the power of the Holy Spirit, has given us a letter and says, consider it pure joy. I don't know about you, but I think that's crazy. I think James is a little bit out of his mind, so to speak, because when I read that, that's tough to handle. Quite honestly, it's even tough to preach as I've prepared this week and I know about some of the things you guys are walking through in our congregation from financial struggles to marriage struggles to health struggles to child-rearing struggles to relational challenges to know about the things that are happening in the congregation and say, I'm going to deal with this text. I would rather skip it. I'd rather pass right on by it. The language he uses is jolting. The phrase pure joy means whole joy. He, He says, don't mix any grief. But consider it pure joy when you go through trials. It's almost like James wants us to be thrilled with the prospect of suffering through the trials of life. Now, that might sound good in the abstract, but in reality, it's no thrill to think about when facing the trials or the hardships of life. And if you're going through a hardship, and I show up and sit down with you over a cup of coffee, and I say, hey, you have some joy in this trial, you might throw that cup of coffee at me. You might come across the table and smack me upside the head and say, Brian, you don't know what I'm walking through. So I bring these words to you from God. I bring them from his holy scripture. These are God's words. They're not my words. See, you remember the little eaglet? I'm sure that eaglet would have loved to have been able to watch a video about flying before being pushed over the edge. Quite possibly, it'd be nice to gather all the information about lift and trajectory and, and how to flap your wings before you get out of the nest. But real life doesn't happen that way. Real life sometimes just comes at you. When hard times hit you, it feels a lot like that helpless little eaglet dropping thousands and thousands of feet to a certain death. So when James says, consider it joy, that's a pretty hard pill to swallow. Pretty hard pill to swallow. But since James is a brother of Jesus and since we believe in in that God inspired him to write these words, 
let's look them a little more closely. When you look at verse 2, you'll notice something about the words. Pay close attention as I read again. Consider pure joy, my brothers. Now that term brothers is a general terminology. Could it say brothers and sisters? Writing to Christians. So let me just say to you today, if you're not a Christian and you're investigating things of faith, we're glad you're here with us and you're figuring that out. But I got to give you a warning that this is true and this is honest and Being a Christian doesn't mean everything's always smooth sailing. And so he says, brothers, because it's written to Christians, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you notice the wording? Whenever, whenever you face trials. Maybe you notice he doesn't say if. He doesn't say if. He says whenever. You see, it's a fact of life that you and I are going to go through hard times. And in case we need that confirmed, look what Jesus said in John 16. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so he's talking to his disciples. He says, you're going to have hard times. And boy, did they ever. And then Paul, the great apostle Paul, testified in Acts 14 when he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Giving warning that difficult times are going to come. They aren't telling us anything we don't know, though, are they? I mean, if you lived on this life just a little while, you know some hard times come. I wonder in our society, though, we've fostered a notion that it's possible to live a life of comfort, relatively free of pain and hardship. And some people, the Christian faith, even have been taught that. And I apologize if that has been the teaching you have received because that is not true. I think there has been this idea floating around that if we just get the right successful formula, if we're just good enough with God, if we just do everything He says, that we'll never have trials or hardships or we'll never suffer. I know I used to think that, especially when I was younger. When I was a child, I thought that for sure, that life is just great. And then we learned of many difficulties when my uncle fell off the front porch that was only 18 inches tall and broke his neck and lived as a paraplegic for 22 years. God woke my family up and said trials and difficulties are part of life. See, if you hold the false idea that that there's a life of ease and comfort can be yours when you have hard times come upon you, then your life can be destroyed If you're not aware that hard times might come and when that happens, your life can fall apart because you'll either think that you've messed up your life, that you made choices that were so horrible that you just screwed it all up, or that God is punishing you by some way. And then you'll get mad at God, but the truth of the matter is trials are inevitable. Think about it for a moment. I mean, if you choose to love people, you choose to let people into your life, you invite people into your life, then you're inviting suffering that comes when they betray you or turn their back on you or desert you or someone that you love dies. Trials are inevitable. Uh, You could go the other route. Well, I'm not going to let people into my life. I choose not to love people. I'm not going to get to know people. Then you're inviting the suffering of loneliness and pain and isolation. Either way, you're going to have a trial or a difficulty. If you attempt to accomplish anything in your lifetime, you invite the trials that come with the frustration of failure. I'm going to start a new business. I'm going to be a great athlete. I want to go on and be a professor in college. I'm going to do whatever. You're inviting trial because usually along those roads, there's bumps and there's setbacks and there's difficulties. And if you don't realize that, then you say, well, I'm not going to do anything. If you say, you know what, I'm not going to pursue anything, then the trial is a a life that's not producing. You feel unworthy and you feel like your life's not worth anything. Either way, there's going to be a trial. If you breathe air, anybody here in that club today, you breathe air? 
Most of us do, right? I hope we all are today. If you breathe air, you invite the prospect of a viral infection or a bacterial infection. If you choose not to breathe air, do I need to explain your trial to you? I mean, it's going to happen. Trials are going to come. So something of what James is saying is since you can't avoid trials, don't spend your life trying to hide from them and run from them. Consider them joy. Consider them as an opportunity of joy. Tim Bond, a fellow preacher, tells a story about his family going on vacation to Green River Lake in Kentucky. They went with some friends who owned a boat and kind of reminded me of taking the high school trip boat and going to the nice river. And they're there, and the guy who owned the boat was telling a story about his mom who was over 70 years old. And she saw the people out skiing, and she said, I've never skied before. I think I want to try that. And sure, her son's looking at her like she's crazy, but... Before long, she's got her life jacket on, and she's in the water waiting for the rope to come around. As he tells the story, eventually, mom is up on the skis, and she's over 70 years old. He tells the story, and he says, before she got out of the boat, this is what she said. She said, what if I break a hip out there? And he told her, mom, if you're going to break a hip, wouldn't you like to tell the nurse you did it water skiing instead of tripping over a rug? (laughs) Maybe that convinced her. Maybe that was a good idea. See, I'm not telling you to go out and break a hip. What I'm saying to all of us is that since trials are inevitable, don't live your life cowering in fear of adversity. Don't be afraid to love because someone might hurt you. Don't be afraid to try something because you might fail. Don't be afraid to breathe because you might catch something. Trials are going to come. There's something to be said for someone who will set out to do something, the idea that I'll do it or I'll die trying. Isn't that the way the apostles lived? Isn't that the way the disciples lived? Enduring incredible suffering, and every one of them ultimately gave their life for Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, Jesus lived offering up his life on the cross for you and me. He went through trial and suffering, and his trial and suffering became you and I's joy. Because we have victory over death. See, we love that kind of courage in other people. We, we live it out vicariously in a movie, Heroes, but to, to, to muster that up for ourselves sometimes is a challenge. What we have to realize is that our attitude toward hardships many times determines how it affects us. You see, if you're afraid of hard times, then hard times will come and they'll beat you up. But if you view hardship as our ally instead of our enemy, then we can come to know what, G, what James is talking about when he says, consider it pure joy. Think about your life, and I guarantee that you realize that times when you've grown the most is when you've gone through the hardest times. It's kind of like the blacksmith taking a piece of metal and putting it in the fire, and then you go in the fire, and it comes out, and you get molded. That metal gets molded. When we go through the fire of a trial or a hardship or a difficulty, that's when God molds us and matures us. Look at this verse with me in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest, being that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. In other words, what the the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus has walked in your shoes before. He understands what we walk through. He's been where you are. He knows temptations, and he knows trials, and he knows difficulty. Matthew teaches us about one of the greatest trials and temptations that Jesus went through. 
This is after he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tired and he's hungry. And Satan comes to him and he tempts him. And he says, listen, see those stones over there? You're so hungry. Turn those stones to bread if you're truly the son of God. And Jesus could have. That was a temptation. Or he said, oh, you're so great. Why don't you go to the highest point and throw yourself down and let your angels rescue you? He could have done that. He said, or bow down and worship me and you can have everything. And he could have done that. So Jesus knows the trials and difficulties. He knows what it's like to walk through them. There are some great things that come out of trials or temptations we face. Paul was getting that in the book of of Romans. Here's what he says. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured us out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Paul is saying, listen, this, this stuff, we persevere through it and that points us to our character, it points us to our hope and he's shown us how to persevere through trials. I see three avenues at least in our text today of perseverance through trial. One is if you want to persevere through trial, learn to lean on the Holy Spirit. Learn to grab onto the Holy Spirit. We just walked through a series and I asked the question, are you growing? And we did the wheel of life where you draw, I drew the wheel and I showed you life and the middle of the wheel was the hub and the hub was the Holy Spirit because life is going to keep on rolling and keep on going but you grab onto the hub, the Holy Spirit. That's what James is trying to teach us. He's telling us whether it's a physical temptation or it's an emotional temptation or a mental uh, trial or a financial trial or a vocational trial or a family trial, whatever it is, go to the council or the Holy Spirit that, that's referred to in John 14, that counselor who wants to teach all things, who wants to come alongside of us. First Peter 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. Trials come as a way of shaping and guiding our faith in it. We go through that. We need to lean on the Holy Spirit. See, through... Through suffering, we learn the depth of our faith. It's easy to believe in God when everything is going well. It's easy to believe in God when the job is good and you're cashing paychecks. It's easy to believe in God when your health is fine and all your family's health is fine. That's simple stuff. It's easy to believe in God when you live in a leave-it-to-beaver type home. That's simple. But when you stand in the unemployment line wondering if you'll have another job or not, When the doctor comes in and says the news is terminal, that's when rubber meets the road of your faith. When tragedy strikes, whether it be today or tomorrow or next month or next year, and you get that bad news, that's when you know how strong is my faith. See, suffering is a thermometer that tests the strength of your faith. And James is saying, consider it pure joy. Verse 7 goes on and says, that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, when we walk through trials, when we walk through temptation, we walk through hardships, and when we walk through that with joy, and we choose joy, what happens is we can then point people towards Christ, and we give praise and glory and honor to Him in the midst of our trials and our difficulties. Secondly, we persevere through trials and suffering is to realize they provide a testimony to the power of God. When you're going through a difficulty and a test and a trial, you have an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus. See, there are some people who God speaks through not because they are so polished or persuasive, but because they allow Him to work through their suffering. 
one of those people, her name's Marcia Williams, her body has been disfigured by over 200 broken bones, and yet against everything that the doctors say is possible, she continues on in life. She can belt out a song, she can tease with her children, she devote herself to her husband and to her little girl. If she'd never suffered, it would be a limitation to her. Here's what she says. She says, the power of God has been witnessed to me through so many people. There are many people who have known pain far beyond anything I've known, and I have seen them stand firm, and I know that they know what James means when he talks about the testing of your faith develops, uh, developing perseverance because God reveals his power by carrying us through our suffering. Do you realize the trial and the difficulty and the thing you're walking through could be a testimony about how Jesus is carrying you through that? Paul understands that. That's why he writes in 2 Corinthians, says, Praise be the God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul's explaining your comfort helps somebody else, your sufferings help somebody else. When you share that, you point back to Christ and Him walking with you. And so your suffering or trial or difficulty can be part of your testimony pointing people towards Christ. And thirdly, how to get through your trial and persevere is to realize trials give you the ability to help or comfort others in tough times. See, when you've dealt with a sick child, you can help somebody else with a deal with a sick child. When you've walked through job loss, then you're much more compassionate and gentle and tender-hearted towards somebody else who's walking through a job loss. When you've dealt with tough temptations, then usually what happens is your judgmental spirit is less because you know you've gone through tough temptations and you can help somebody else walk through tough temptations. When you've dealt with personal sickness or a bad marriage, you can come alongside somebody else and say, I've been where you've been. And you can understand exactly what they're walking through. And then you can minister way beyond because you've walked in their shoes. Quite honestly, it's fearful being a minister in my shoes sometimes because we walk in all kinds of situations with areas where we haven't had experiences. And just because you have an ordination certificate or you've been to a Bible college and been trained, there's nothing like the school of hard knocks where you've walked through tough stuff. And I've seen some of you minister in ways that blows my socks off because you walk through tough stuff. And so you know how to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and the love of Christ way beyond anything I could ever do. Your trial and your struggle and your difficulty is one way for God to use you to love other people and show the love of Christ. Walk with people through tough times. See, it's only because that mother eagle knew the need for that eaglet to fly that she could push him out of the nest. She knew he got to fly. And so she introduced him to life, so to speak, of what his life's going to be like. But you know what? who was there to catch him before that eagle hit the bottom and lost his life? The mama eagle comes swooping right on down, right underneath the eagle. It catches her, catches her little baby, takes him right back to the nest, puts him back in the nest, and says, we'll try again another day. Until that eagle is ready to fly on its own. Some of you may be feeling like today you've been pushed over the edge. 
my word of encouragement to you is realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is walking with you and He's there to carry you through it. He's there to rescue you through it. When you face the trials of many kinds, James speaks of and you're going to face them, you need to realize something, that you're not alone. Psalmist wrote that in Psalm 46. He said, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall in the heart of the sea. You're not alone. God's there with you. God is there and He won't let you hit rock bottom when you put your trust in Him. One thing about James is that he is no ivory tower philosopher. He doesn't spend time asking questions like, why do trials and hardship come? He just gets right to the point and says, they're going to come. He's too practical for that. That's what is on his mind is helping you and I see life from a very much different perspective. He wants us to know that if we're going to worship God even in the midst of trials, we need to be able to see the joy in their midst. Now realize that James is not saying, James is not saying that the trial themselves are joyful. What produces in you is actually where the joy comes. What he does inside of you, the results. You see, God wants to develop into you a people of character. And James used the terminology mature and complete, not lacking anything. So as you walk through a trial, you can consider it a joy. You can say, God is shaping me, and God is growing me, and God is maturing me. I don't like what I'm walking through, but I'm excited, I'm joyful, because I know God is making me better, making me who he wants me to be. And he even points to a promise in verse 12. The ultimate promise of those who are longing to be ever to be everything God created them to be. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James lifts our eyes and says, Keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes on the hope that you have in eternity. Keep your eyes there, because that's the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's who's going to carry us through the difficulties and the trials of life. Keep your eyes on heaven because that's ultimately where we end up when we stand the test of time and we walk with Jesus. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words in your holy scriptures through your servant James. Father, help us not to just hear them, but help us to be doers of your word. Help us to put them into practice, to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Lord, help us to persevere so that our character grows and that our hope grows. Father, I just pray over the people in this room and in this congregation. Lord, like I said, it's hard to preach a message like this when, Lord, you know there are some people in this room dealing with some health issues. Father, there's some people in this room dealing with some marriage issues. There's some people in this room, Lord, dealing with some financial issues. And Father, there's many issues probably not even spoken or people not even aware of. Maybe it's an emotional issue. Maybe it's a doubting issue. Maybe it's a faith issue. Father, there are so many challenges, trials we walk through. And uh, Lord, we just lay those at your feet this morning. We lay us at your feet and ask you to replace our, our worry, our concern, maybe a, a downward spirit, a downward attitude. Replace that with the joy that James is talking about. And Father, we can do that because we look at the cross. And we look at the cross and we see Jesus. And we see the, the trial. We see the pain. We see the suffering that he went through 
for us so that we can have joy. That we can have joy because of our sin being conquered. We can have joy because of the grave being conquered. We can have joy because of the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus and our faith in Him gives us the hope of eternity in heaven. And so, Father, fill us with the joy that comes from Jesus. Help us to have the same attitude of the attitude of Christ. And, Lord, as we celebrate that and remember that in communion, Lord, it's ironic that we remember and celebrate communion. Somebody else's pain and trial and difficulty is our joy. And so, Lord, deal with us as we worship and as we commune. Lord, help us to, to hand over our struggles and our trials so that we can embrace the joy that James talks about. Lord, we celebrate and we honor you and we say thank you this morning as we celebrate through communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.